Hello. I, I just want to talk to you a little bit about God's Word. And I know I did the last time I was here, but I, I, I just have such a passion for this, and I believe many of you do too. But as I travel around the world, what I see mainly is our people who know our doctrines do not know the Bible. They do not have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't think that's true for, for a lot of you here, but, but maybe some of you do struggle with that. And I don't know, when, when I start to read the Bible, even to this day, and I've been doing it you know, for many years, I get these thoughts. Oh, this is boring. This is too difficult to understand. You, you're not going to be able to understand it that well. I have read all these stories in the Bible. I know about Daniel and Joseph and Jesus as a baby. What good is it going to do me? I've got huge problems. Why do I need to read this stuff again? Do any of you get these thoughts? Or or I get one, too, that is, I am so sinful and so bad, I would need to read the whole book for it to ever help me. And those thoughts are from Satan. I hope you know that, and, and you just need to turn away from him and turn to God's word. Because there is power there. And I found even in reading, like, the book of Leviticus, you know what that's like, right? <laughs> that even when I read the book of Leviticus, or I read the war stories in the Old Testament, there's something about it when I read God's word, when I first pray for the Holy Spirit to only speak to me, that God's power, his healing, his grace comes into me that I do not experience when I read any, any other book. In John 6.63, Jesus says, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And it is so true. And, and, and even now, when, so many times when I go to read God's word, those thoughts come, oh, this isn't going to help you. This isn't going to help you. Pick up a good book and read it or something. And maybe I'm the only one that gets those thoughts. But don't let it keep you from reading God's word. Even though you feel like you're not getting anything out of it, keep doing it. Keep praying for God to speak to you through it. It is his life, Jesus' very life coming into us as we read his word. And sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'll be reading and I think I told you before about George Mueller. Uh, do you know who George Mueller was? Okay, and he, he started, uh, he'd go around and visit his church members, and he'd say, how is your time with the Lord? And they would say, what time? I have to work 14 hours a day to put food on the table for my family. George got discouraged as a pastor. He quit the paid ministry because of this and said, God, I want you to do something to, to support me and my wife that will show people that if I put you first, you will provide. And so he kept praying about this, and God led him to start up an orphanage. So he, he uh, prayed and prayed for that to happen. God provided the money, or the building, and then God provided the orphans. He had to pray for orphans, because he didn't have that either. And so George has the orphanage. He has the orphans. He has people now to take care of him. All of this came through prayer. He never asked for anything. And you know what you have? Now, George had a beautiful, loving relationship with God. He loved to spend time with God. 
But now he had all these things to pray about. He had a building that needed to be taken care of. He had bills to pay. Food, he needed food for the kids. He needed all these things. He needed the staff to get along. George started, you know, praying and praying and praying about all these things in his worship time. Wouldn't you? You're desperate. And he's praying about all these things. George found his spiritual life just dried up. And he didn't know what was wrong. But as he thought about it, he realized spending that time with God first is not about praying your long list of requests. You know, we all have desperate needs in our life. But that's not the way to begin with God. Uh, You need that relationship with God. And then later go through that list. And George started doing that. He just laid aside the fact there was no food for tomorrow for those kids. There was no whatever they needed to keep that building going or, or clothes for the kids. He laid it all aside. Instead, he would just take his Bible and get happy with God. He would read till he would get happy with God and spend that time with him. And a lot of times, George would take his, he had a little Bible that he would take and walk in the fields, just reading and meditating. And, and it is such a blessing to do that as you spend that time and just let God lead you to praise him, to give thanks. He may lead you to pray about something. He may lead you uh, to a pointed thing of how that text, you know, applies to you. Well, I wanted to tell you, you know, just an example of how that's happened for me. Jerry and I would had this long-standing disagreement about an issue. And one Saturday night, I was just fed up. And I decided, I got this bright idea. I'm going to ask God what he thinks in the morning, as, you know, through, the, through his word. And I'm sure God's going to agree with me and support me on this. So I couldn't wait till the next morning. And I, you know, I always like to, like I told you last time, I like God to ask God to wake me up, as it says in Isaiah and so God woke me up early. And by the way, this waking up early, I was never an early morning person. I was one to sleep in, but God can change you on that. But I remember one Sunday morning, God woke me up early. And I said, come on now. I don't need to get up now. It's Sunday. I can sleep in. There's no reason for me to get up early. And I kept on sleeping. And when I decided to get up, The phone rings, there's an emergency, and I had to leave. God knew, and I've had that happen so many times. Uh, God knows what our schedule's going to be better than we do. But So this morning I get up early, and I'm spending that time with God, and I said, God, you know how Jerry and I just really disagreed on this one subject. Could you show me how you feel about it? I knew God was going to agree with me. And I went to reading where I had read before at that time, it was in Romans. And do you know what God showed me was that Jerry wasn't right, but I needed to support him in this. And I was so mad that I I turned to the Old Testament and started reading because I was sure that um, there'd be something better to read. I wanted to avoid what God was saying. But everywhere I read, there was the same principle that I needed to support Jerry in this. And I was, I was mad at God and upset, and I just I didn't, couldn't talk about it, nothing, for at least a week or so. And I, but then I finally said, you know, this is miserable. And I went to Jerry and said, hey, you know, I, I talked to God about this, and I really feel like God's telling me I need to support you on this issue. 
Of course, Jerry was thrilled. And, but then another time, but you know, it turned out to be good. It isn't, it's like God fills you with a peace and a grace when, you, when you're obedient to him. And, but then another time, it was again a Saturday night. Saturday nights have tended to be a hard time for us because we're working like crazy all week. And then we're ministering in churches all weekend. And then, you know, Saturday night, we come home 11 o'clock at night dropping into bed. And I said something or Jerry did. I don't know what happened. But anyway, we got into it. And I finally said, I just want to go to sleep. Just let me go to sleep. Well, Jerry's not one to let you do that. He wants to get it settled now. You don't go to sleep until everything's settled. And I said, I can't think about this anymore. I Just let me go to sleep. Well, he was kind and let me, go, what, let me go to sleep. Well, in the morning I woke up early, or God woke me up early, and I went to spend that time with him. Well, now I got smart this time. No way was I going to ask God any questions. I wasn't even going to ask God what to read that morning because I was afraid of what he might show me. So I started reading where I thought it would be good to read. I decided in the Psalms that I'll just start praising and worshiping God. And I was just having this wonderful time of worshiping and praising God, totally avoiding the fact I've got this problem with Jerry. Now, is that ridiculous to think you can spend this time with God when you've got a problem with a person? And I, as I was doing this, just enjoying the time, even trying to sing a song, even though I, I can't really sing, I get this thought, why don't you read Proverbs for today? And I remembered I had learned years before in a seminar that there's 31 chapters to Proverbs, and it, you can read one each day, I'd become a wise woman. Well, I kind of hadn't done that, so I decided, okay, I, I'm going to do that. I need to start that this morning. So I looked at the calendar because I didn't know what day it was. It was the eighth day of the month. So I turned to Proverbs 8 to start reading. And Proverbs 8, it says, it's about wisdom. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hills. And on down it goes. And this was okay. You know, I was in, in, it's all right. I was reading it. But then all of a sudden, I come to verse 7 in my heart. Do you ever have, when you're reading God's word, like this stabbing pain go through your heart or just this quickening of your heart? That was what happened to me as I read verse 7. It said, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Well, I didn't like this verse. I felt like God was telling me something. So I kept reading. I don't know how it is with you. But I'll be reading God's word, and, and this thought will start coming. And I know it's, it's something God is wanting me to do or to stop doing, whatever it is. And I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. So to shut it off, you know what I'll do? I'll start reading God's word really fast. Just, just oh, yeah, this is really good. And just read it as fast as I can. And then, oh, yeah, maybe I should look this up in the Bible dictionary, the commentaries, to see more of the deeper meaning. Totally avoiding the fact that God is trying to speak to me because I don't want to hear what he has to say. Unfortunately, sad to admit, I've done that too much in my life and have missed out on what God wants to do because of doing that. And I'm getting braver to stop now and just say, okay, God, I don't like what I sense you're saying. Give me the grace to hear it and the strength to deal with it, whatever it might be. And 
So I'm reading this verse, Proverbs 8, and I keep reading because I'm trying to avoid that my heart's feeling this tightening. Verse 8 says, All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Oh, God was again just quick at hitting me hard because I knew the night before I was saying things that I shouldn't. And that word perverse, I wasn't sure what it meant. So I kept on reading because I didn't like all this. And I kept on reading, and then I get down to verse 13, and it hits me again. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Well, I decided to get out a dictionary and look up that word because I wasn't sure for sure what it meant. But I got out a dictionary, and it meant just what I thought. It meant sarcastic joking, which I knew was what got me in trouble the night before. And one of the things I love about God, he will chasten me. He will let me know I'm doing something wrong from his word. But he always comes in and loves me. He never beats you down. He always comes in and encourages you and loves you. God is amazing. And on down, it says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And on it goes. But I just want to give you an example of how God's word will speak. Um, years ago, it was actually when I did uh, the very first women's retreat, I, I shared my testimony and how you know Jerry pushed me into doing the women's retreat, but it ended up being such a blessing and changing my life because it got me to start praying again and spending time with God. And But that women's retreat, the committee, whoever they were at the conference office, had voted to give me I think it was $1,500 to do this women's retreat. That was it. They never give me any more money, nothing. That was it. So I had $1,500 to put on this women's retreat. So I was really, really careful. And I knew that I did not go into debt with it. I knew I hadn't. In fact, I thought I might even have 1000 left with it. And so when the retreat was all done and all, the, the women were pushing on me, you got to do this again, you got to do it again. And... I had uh, called up the, or went by to see the accountant in the treasury office asking her, you know, can you tell me, did you figure out the balance, the books, uh, just how much money do we have to work with for this another women's retreat? She said, Janet, I'm over my head with, with all the stuff to do. I, I don't have time right now. When I do, I'll call and let you know. I said, oh, okay. And th- this was right before they were changing to the computer system. They were doing everything in ledgers by hand. And she, I, I went quite a while. She hadn't contacted me. And one morning, I'm reading. And I had asked God, you know, what should I read this morning? Because I, I do more now just methodically reading through the scriptures. But at that time, I would just more, you know, just ask God, what can I read? And what I felt led to read was Isaiah 30. And Isaiah 30 It says, in returning and rest, in verse 15, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And I thought, huh, that's a neat verse. But what does it mean? What's God really talking about? Well, that particular Bible I was was using, it was an NIV, and it had a a margin in the middle that had other texts to turn to. And the scripture it had listed for that 
which, by the way, I can find in no other book, Bible, but that one that I had. I don't know if God put it there special for me or what. And, but it was verse, it was Exodus 14, 14. And it says, the Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. And I thought, I wonder what that's about. God, are you trying to tell me something? But that was kind of the end of that. I went on with my worship time, and then I, I got ready for the day. And, well, I was supposed to meet with a prayer group, a prayer group that actually continued because of that women's retreat. We started having this prayer group. And then I thought, you know, I just don't have... Well, what happened next was the phone rang. It was this accountant at the office. And she says, Janet, I figured out the books. I've got everything figured out if you want to come. And she says, and by the way, I have good news and I have bad news. I says, what is the good news? Well, she said, the good news is, is I figured it out. I said, well, what is the bad news? She said, you're almost like $3,000 in the hole. And I just, my heart sunk. I said, there's no way. It couldn't be. I was so careful. She says, well, that's the way it is. So I hung up and, you know, I'm supposed to go to this prayer group. And I thought, I don't have time. I got to get down to the office and get this taken care of. Because, you know, my, my husband's the president. I'm his wife. I'm going to make us look bad to everybody that I've spent money. There's not money there to spend. And I was so embarrassed and humiliated. And so I called up the leader of this prayer group, and I said, I can't come. I've got to go to the office. I've got to take care of business. And, and I told her kind of the mess up that was happening. And she said, Janet, what you need is to come pray. I said, oh, you're right. Okay. So I come over there, and as I walk into her little apartment, she's sitting there with her Bible open on her lap, and she says to me, you know what God said to me this morning? And she starts sharing how God had spoken to her this morning through the word. And it had nothing to do with my situation, but it suddenly clicked in my little brain what God had showed me that this morning in Isaiah to rest in God. And then in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. And so I knew then, I felt that God was telling me he's going to take care of this. I didn't know how. So we prayed together. I had more peace. And then I decided to go to the office to see if I could take care of this. And, but I called to let her know I was coming. Would she be there? She said, you know, it's really busy right now. I I still need, I need to wait. And my heart sunk. And I waited for three weeks for this woman to ever tell me I could come so she could figure this out. And my heart, my mind was believing what God's word said, but my stomach could not believe. I had diarrhea terribly during that time. Probably a bad word to say from the pulpit. Anyway, and... But three weeks later, I'm just praying and praying, you know, God, you got to take care of this. The treasurer now had made some comments to me. Oh, I hear you ran us 3000 in the hole and, you know, things like that. And I'm just so embarrassed. So I go to her office. She finally calls and says, you know, come down today. So I go down there. And when I say go down, we lived on the hills and it was 45 minute drive. And I got there. And within minutes, I figured out what the problem was. She, with a ledger, was only going back to like August or, or, or September of all the registration fees that had come in. And I said, look, we started getting money back in June or July. You're not, you haven't gone far enough back in your ledger books. 
And I was right. We ended up being over 2,000 ahead. But do you see what I'm saying about how God will speak to you? The thing is, though, and I think I said this before. Sorry, I'm old. I can't remember what I say. Before. But I, I walked into a, a friend's house. Uh, we were going to pray together. And I walked in. She's kneeling there by her couch. And she says to me with her Bible open, she says, Janet, the Lord just spoke to me. I said, oh, what did he say? I'm to leave my husband. I said, has he committed adultery? No. Has he done anything wrong? No, but I need to leave him. I said, but God's word doesn't tell you to do that. It says you're to stay together. She says, but God just spoke to me. It doesn't matter what God's word says. In Malachi 3, 6, it says, God says, I will not change. He never goes against his word. In another place, I don't remember, Jeremiah or Isaiah, God says, the, it'll stop having the moon and the sun before I will change my word. So if you get voices, you hear things that you think, oh, well, I can do this or that. God's told me. It is not God if it goes against his word. And that's why it's so important that we read the Bible. We, we read the Bible and we really know God's word. And I'm sure you, you, you've got stories like those too of just how he speaks. But one of the things that really helps is to write down when God speaks to you in your journal. Just write it briefly. Like, I'll be spending time with God, and God will remind me, what you said to so-and-so yesterday wasn't good. You need to apologize. i say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. But then I'll forget about it and never do it. But if I write it in my journal, it's in my face all the time that I need to go do this. You know, if you keep a page of, of what God says to you. And, but when I was, uh, I don't know, 16 or 17 years old, uh, Glenn Kuhn, spoke at our school. You've heard of him, the ABCs of prayer. And he talks about claiming promises and seeing God work. And so I was amazed at this. And he had story after story after story of what God had done as he claimed his word. Because God's word is powerful, way more powerful than our own words when we pray. I've seen so much more happen as I pray God's word and claim his promises than I did when I just prayed my own words. And one of the things was I, I did not make good grades in academy. I enjoyed life more than I did doing schoolwork and partying and, you know, just fun stuff. And my mother, she wanted me to graduate with those cords around your neck and all this fancy stuff. And I started praying. I said, Lord, you know my mother really wants this. It doesn't, not a big deal to me, but she says I need to do this, be able to get in college. And... and I found this promise, James 1, 5. If you ask God for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom. So I started putting my finger on that promise for God to give me wisdom because I had like C grades. And every day I kept putting my finger on this promise, Lord, will you give me wisdom so I can make A's, make good grades? And when the grades came out at the end of the semester and I looked at the board where stuff was listed, I was in shock. I had straight A's. And I couldn't believe it. I thought a mistake had been made, but then I found out, no, it was true. But you know what started happening was I started having this desire to study instead of watching the TV. And I was going back in my bedroom and studying. You know, did God infuse me suddenly with wisdom? No, but he started giving me the urgent desire to study. 
and make good, you know, to, to study for those tests and, and things. But my uh, older brother, my older brother, I only have one brother, and he went through this really wild time and breaking my parents' heart. And I started claiming 1 John 5.16, which says if you see your brother sinning a sin that does not lead to death, pray for them and God will give them life. And I started praying for God to give my brother life in him. It took a couple of years of praying that, but every day, you know, I'd keep putting my finger on that promise. And I was amazed at the huge turnaround of my brother. He became converted, became a pastor, seen many people one to Jesus. And he is so in love with God. He, he loves God dearly. But I don't know if you do that. But the other thing is, is memorizing and, and meditating on, on Scripture. The healing power, what it can do for you. At times, you know, I've, I've been hurt by somebody or I'm upset about something or I'm anxious. The thing that helps me so much is just to take a verse of Scripture and just keep, keep it on a card or, or now I keep it on my phone and just read it over and over and over and over again. There's something about God's Word that brings healing inside of me as I do that. But I don't know if you ever heard them speak at camp meeting, uh, Clarence and Diana Schultz. Slits, I think is a name. And, but Clarence had a terrible problem with fear. He had an over-dominating father, and he was just an extremely fearful person. And he'd get up in the middle of the night and eat ice cream. We'd eat a whole half gallon of ice cream. But also, he was a pastor. And he had so much fear about his work, he couldn't get out of bed. He would hide under the covers. Or else he'd sit in front of the TV all day long. And his wife now, his wife was um, a school teacher. She had become a, a Christian as a teenager. She grew up in an alcoholic home, and she literally thought her name was like a four-letter word because that's all she heard from her father. Well, even though she became a Christian, she still had these bad words in her mind. And she had an anger problem. And she might look at you and smile, but inside she'd be cursing you out if she was upset with you with all these words. And she'd struggled with it. She'd wanted to get over this. She didn't want to do this, but it kept happening with her. And she started memor- not memorizing scripture. To this day, she says, I can't memorize scripture. But she just wrote it on cards, these verses. And she just would carry them with her everywhere and just keep reading the, and meditating on these verses over and over and over. Not to change, just because she felt she needed this in her life to, with a relationship with God. But after many months of doing this, she suddenly realized one day her anger, her temper was gone. And she was no longer cussing, cursing people out in her mind. It was totally gone. Her husband, now he started memorizing God's word, and and the way he did it was because of some class to become a biblical counselor. You had to memorize all this scripture, and that's actually what got them both started doing it, I guess. But Clarence, fear was gone from spending months memorizing. He would memorize it. She just would meditate on the cards. But the fear was gone. He did not struggle to get out of bed anymore. He wasn't getting up anymore to eat ice cream in the middle of the night. And he wasn't sitting in front of the TV all day. He had a new energy and boldness to do his work as a pastor. There is power in God's word. 
and I don't know how it is for you, but Satan will do anything he can to keep us from meditating, memorizing, and being in God's word. In, in the, we were in the Middle East back in March in, in, in a country called Tunisia, and there's a woman who was converted through 3ABN. She uh, you know, was a Muslim, and when her husband found out, he you know, was pulling her hair out to beating her to everything, to get her, trying to get her to stop. And she continued on. She was so in love with Jesus and the new truth. Well, in the process, it was a long, you know, a couple of years this went on. Uh, he divorced her. He was going to kill her, but he just couldn't. God was protecting her, and he just divorced her. But he kept the children. He wouldn't let her have the children, but she sometimes was able to see them some. And these kids were little when she had to leave. But her daughter and her son continued to remain faithful to the little bit their mother had taught them. But her daughter was beaten and bad things done to her by her father, trying to get her to stop this Christianity. And I met this girl. I was in this church and met the mother. And she told me about her daughter. She says, my daughter, when she finally became of age, 18, uh, and she could now come and choose to, to be with me, she said she was just so fearful and so sad and so depressed and just, you know, because of all she'd been through. And she's praying, what do I do? What do I do? And she got this idea. She decided to get her daughter. She bought her a notebook and said, I want you to translate the Bible into, I don't know if she was translating it into Arabic, I think into Arabic, from English or English into Arabic, one or the other. And they start with the book of Joel because that's where we were. I don't know if you follow our Revival and Reformation Bible reading plan, but at that time we were in the book of Joel. And so the girl started with the book of Joel. And you know the books that come after that, the minor prophets and all. It doesn't sound like it'd be real interesting, right, or life-changing. But as she's doing all that and got into Matthew, her mother started to see a huge change in this girl. And when I met this girl, you would never know that what the terrible abuse she'd been through. She was happy, vibrant, outgoing, and, and loving the people. God's word heals. It is powerful. Don't believe Satan's lies anymore that it won't do you any good, because it does do you good. And there's a, a, a lady I met. She was from Loma Linda. She went to college there, took nursing. And she just did not want anything to do with religion. She was going to live life the way she wanted to live life. And her girl's dean kept praying with her, kept reaching out to her. And before she, but she never would, you know, didn't, didn't, she liked the dean as a friend, but didn't want anything to do with religion. And when she graduated, the dean hands her a Bible. She's, as a gift, gave her this Bible, had her name engraved on it. But in that Bible, she had highlighted in, in a highlighter, all the promises, a lot of the promises in the Bible. And now I'm meeting this woman probably 15, 20 years later, and she tells me, by that dean doing that, my life's been changed. She said, I went to live my wild life, and she says, things just got so bad, and I got financially in trouble and debt. She, I was just a mess. And she said, I didn't know what I was going to do to pull myself out of it. And so she says, I remembered that Bible, and I dug it out of a box, 
And I pulled it out and I started going through it. And she said, I started praying those promises in God's word. She said, now, mind you, I was not living right. I wasn't going to church. But I kept praying those promises. And she said, God has just done miracle after miracle and changing things for me and changing my life. And because of all that, you know, she's been changed. But there is just so much power in God's word. Years ago, actually when we first moved here to California, I was having a, a female problem. And I went to a physician in Palo Alto uh, at the university there that somebody recommended, said he was really good with uh, female problems. And he was also an inventor. He invented new kind of tools and stuff to do kind of more non-invasive surgeries. And I went there to see him, and he said, uh, we're going to do a biopsy. And they did that, and, and the ultrasounds or sonograms. And he said, you know, you have a tumor the size of a grapefruit. And it needs to come out. And he said, and in taking it out, we're going to have to do a hysterectomy, remove everything, because there's too big of a chance of bleeding, hemorrhaging. And I said, but I don't want everything taken out. And he said, well, it, it has to happen. And I wasn't real happy with this situation. I, you know, I came into the world with these organs. I want to go out with them. I know I have a lot of women tell me they're glad to get rid of them. But I want to keep mine. And so I... I started praying, God, Lord, I want to be surrendered to your will. I I don't believe in ever demanding anything from God, because I don't know what's best. I may think I know, but I don't. And I'd say, God, I want to be surrendered to your will. And then I would start showing God what his word says. In Psalm 103, it says, you are the God who heals all my diseases. And in Isaiah 54, it says, I am healed by Jesus' stripes. And then I started reading the Gospels of all the miracle stories of how Jesus healed whole villages and person after person. And I would read these and I'd say, God, you did it then. I know you can do it now. But Lord, if it's not your will, then I don't want it. I want to be, I choose to be surrendered to your will, even though I really want this, but I choose to be surrendered. And I kept doing this. Uh, there was a f- few months before this surgery happened. And when it came time for the surgery, I um, also, you know, was just asking God, is there anything in my life that needs to change? Lord, is there a sin in my life I need to make right? You, you want to be sure your heart is cleansed and you're right, you know, with God. And when it came time to go up to Palo Alto for the surgery, uh, the, the pastor and his wife graciously offered their home for us to stay in because, you know, we had no money and we couldn't afford a hotel. And so we took him up on it. Well, I told Jerry, you know, I really want to be anointed for this. And he said, I said, can you do it? And he said, he thought about it. He said, you know, I'd really like this pastor and his wife to do it instead of me because I'm, I'm your husband. I said, oh, Okay. So we get there, and I did all that prep stuff you have to do before surgery. And, and then that night before the surgery, this couple, Jerry had asked them to anoint me, and so they did. And it was a beautiful little service. And after, when they anointed me, I just felt like I'd, the tumor was gone. I, I'd been healed. 
And, but I didn't say anything about it. I just thanked him. And the next morning, I just had this urgency, you know, it's not there anymore. And so I said to Jerry, it's 6.30 in the morning, we're driving to the hospital. I said, Jerry, I don't think the tumor's there anymore. I think I've been healed. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, well, what do you want to do about it? I said, I don't know. I said, I guess talk to the doctor. So we get to the surgery center and I tell the nurse, can I talk to the doctor? And she said, uh, I, I don't know. Let me see. And so she checks and she says, well, I can get him on the phone. He can't come in person. I said, okay, okay that's good enough. So he gets on the phone. Now, this is a Persian doctor, Dr. Najat. And he says to me, what do you want, Janet? And I said, Dr. Najat, you, you know, I, I'm a Christian. He said, yeah. I said, well, I was anointed last night. I don't know if you ever heard of anointing or believe in it. But I think the tumor's gone. I was anointed for God to heal me. Uh, could you promise me if you get in there, and, and the way they did the surgery was with scopes. Uh, you know, they didn't cut you open, just uh, these thin scopes. And I said, if you get in there and see there's no tumor, would you promise me you'll leave everything intact? You won't remove my organs? And he sighs, and he goes, Janet, you have a tumor the size of a grapefruit. It has to come out, and everything needs to come out with it. You have to have the surgery. And I said, but Dr. Najat, if you get in there and you find there's no tumor, would you promise me you'll leave everything in place? He sighed again. He says, Janet, you have a tumor. It's four inches in diameter. It has to come out. Everything has to come out with it. And I said, Dr. Najat, please, if you get in there and find there's no tumor, would you promise me you'll leave everything in place? He sighs. Okay, Janet, if there is no tumor, I won't remove anything. And they take me into surgery. And the next thing I know, because, you know, you go out right away, is somebody shaking my shoulder. And I feel like I'm on a gurney, you know, being pushed down the hallway. And it's a woman's voice going, Janet, 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 wake up, wake up. Janet, there was no tumor. There was no tumor. And when... Dr. Najat came by later after I was more wide awake to see us. He said, I don't understand this, but there was no tumor. He said, would you pray for my work? Because he invented equipment, surgical equipment. You know, this is a guy, a Persian guy. And we said, yeah, we'll pray for it. And, but when I got to the house where I was staying, this pastor was sitting in his armchair his hands were clenching the arms, and he just stared at the wall, and I came in, and I didn't know, you know, do I need to try to talk to him? Can I just go up and get in bed? I just want to go to bed. And I didn't know what to say or do, and I just kind of stood there, and finally he just blurts out, yells out, I don't believe in anointings. Now, Jerry had called him ahead and told him what had happened. He says, I don't believe in anointings. My wife doesn't believe in them. I was in total shock. And come to find out, the reason he didn't believe, and it's understandable, his mom came down with cancer. He prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for her to be healed. He anointed her, and she died. And then his dad came down with cancer, and he prayed and prayed for him, anointed him, and he died. So therefore, he didn't believe in anointings anymore. I don't understand how God has to work 
in every situation or why some ways he works different than others. I mean, I pray about a lot of things I have. I don't always see God remove, you know, tumors in my body or whatever. But there's something about God's word. I don't care what it is that's wrong with me. I am going to go to God's word, pray God's word, but be surrendered and say, Lord, I'm not surrendered. I choose to be surrendered. Lord, you healed here. Will you heal now? But I want to be surrendered to your will. And, you know, maybe God did that for Dr. Najat. He needed it. I don't know. Maybe this pastor and his wife needed it. I don't know. But I know this, that if you're anointed, it doesn't matter who anoints you. Sometimes we think, oh, we got to find somebody who really believes in faith. It doesn't matter who anoints you. If God wants it done, it's going to happen. He's incredible what he does. And I just want to close with this reading. It's um, the power of, of words. And you probably have heard this before, but it says, What you say and what God says, who will you trust? Have you heard this before? You say it's impossible. God says all things are possible. You say, I, and it quotes Mark 10, 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. You say, I am too tired. God says, I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You say, nobody loves, really loves me. God says, I love you. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. You say, I cannot figure things out. God says, I will direct your steps. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, him, and he shall direct your paths. You say, I can't do it. God says, you can do all things. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You say, I am not able. God says, I am able. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You say, it's not worth it. God says, it will be worth it. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You say, I can't forgive myself. God says, I forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There, in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, I cannot manage. God says, I will supply all your needs, Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory 
by Christ Jesus. You say, I'm afraid. God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You say, I am always wearied, worried and frustrated. God says, cast all your care on me. 1 Peter 5.7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You say, I'm not smart enough. God says, I will give you wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given him. You say, I feel all alone. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you can read those once and say, oh, okay, you know, that's good. The power, the change comes in reading it over and over and over and meditating on it and letting it fill your hearts and souls with his healing power. God says in Jeremiah 1.12, I am watching over my word to perform it. God will perform it in each one of us what needs to happen. Would you just bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord God, you heard what I just talked about, and yet you know my own doubts and anxieties and fears and how much more I I need to do this, how much more I need to be in your word. And Lord, I don't know how it is for people here. Uh, Maybe they all are in your word and really know you, and that's good. Help them to go even deeper with you. But if there's any here that are struggling that find it hard to read the Bible. Lord, let it come alive for them. Father, don't let them believe Satan's lies anymore about your word. Help them, Father, to really spend that time and let you change them. And I thank you, Father. Thank you, God, that you're in the business of changing all of us, that our job is just to keep coming to Jesus and spending time with you and let you do the changing. We praise you. We thank you. Bless each one, Lord, the rest of their Sabbath day. May they have a good fellowship and time together as a family. We praise you. We love you, Lord. And, Father, for the Hope Clinic, we just really pray for that, that you'll bless the ones who are leading out in it with wisdom and patience and strength and and just bring all the ones to volunteer, uh, help people to be faithful and come. And, Lord, bring the people you want to be loved to Jesus. You were here, you washed their feet, Lord. We're going to clean their teeth and check their vision, and I don't know what all goes on. But God, use it. Use it to show people that you are a God who loves them and that it will cause them to seek you as never before. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.